Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. You've got a few days to register for the Passover, so check out the description below. Look at the link in the chat and you can register for the Passover. Come here to Oregon in this season. We are coming into the Moedim and of course it is time for renewal. And that's what this week's Torah portion is all about. Shemineh eighth, the eighth day, a time of renewal, or in modern vernacular, get ready for the great reset. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's get ready together. Give some comments down below and chat one another up, edify one another, encourage one another. Give us some thumbs up. Give us some thumbs up. Subscribe to the ministry. And um, again, register for the Passover. It's only a few days away. So Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, we are in Leviticus, Vayikra, chapter 9, verse 1, extending through chapter 11, verse 47. It is written, and it came to pass on the eighth day, Shemini, on the eighth day that Moshe called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and as a ram as a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before Yahuwah unto the children of Israel. And you shall speak saying, take a kid of the goats as a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering. Also a bull as a ram as a peace offering to sacrifice before Yahuwah and grain offerings mixed with oil for today Yahuwah will appear to you. And this is how the text this week's portion begins. Shemineh eighth. Eighth. Now this word of course has got some really deep meanings because Numbers mean something in Scripture. There's no idle word in Scripture. There's no idle number in Scripture. Today is the seventh day, Shabbat. It's a day of rest. But what comes after? What comes after? Let's look at that, and then we'll go into the actions of Nadav and Avihu. We'll look into, of course, what to eat and what not to eat all contained within this week's Torah portion. Shemini, spelt with the Hebrew letters Shin Mem Nun Che. And it's from the root Shemen. Shemen. That is spelt Shin Mem Nun. What does it mean? To come into the eighth day. Remember how the text starts? Those who are called. Many are called, but few are chosen. We have to finish the race. We have to endure. We have to go through the refiner's fire. There are so many distractions. Yahushua spoke to the disciples. He spoke to the multitudes. The parable of the wheat and the tares. There are so many things trying to affect our thinking, trying to bombard our bodies, our health, and distract us and try and compel us to perform on a different path. And it's all commercial because Mystery Babylon is people's, nations, 
and seas. We've spoken about this before. It's international admiralty maritime in nature, but it is all commercial. So over these past few years, the things that you've been seeing is trying to compel people to go to a different path so that you'll never make it to the eighth day, which is a new beginning. Because on another path, Satan has another new beginning. It's called the Great Reset. And we're trying, what they're trying to do is switch everybody over from Yahweh's ways, the narrow road that leads to life, the Shabbat, the Moedim, and what blessings come from that over to a broad path, compelling you to come off of that path, and then to go over to their new day, which is the Great Reset. Because we have two different kingdoms that are working, not in unison, but working to call the people. Are they the seeds of Esau or the seed of Jacob? Yahweh is calling his people. Mystery Babylon is crying out to her people. It's all commercial in nature. We have a choice to make because Shemene, its root, Shemen, means to make fat. Who gets the fat? Yahweh gets the fat. You want Yahweh to have you? All of you? All of me? Then we need to be cleansed and get dedicated so that we don't become defiled. Because if we come, become defiled, we'll end up smoked on the broad road that leads to destruction. Smoked. That's what happened to Nadab and Abihu. So I hope you can see where I'm leading us on a narrow path of Scripture. Because Shemene from its root, Shemen, means to be fat, to cover in fat, to super bound. You want to be super bound with power and strength? One who bounds in strength and ultimately you will have the oil of anointing poured over you by the Ruach HaKodesh and hear the words, well done my good and faithful servant if you make it to the eighth day. You have to have the patience and endurance of the saints. You will have to endure. You and I will have to pass through trials and the trials of this life and complete the life that Yahweh has ordained for each and every one of you. He's ordained your footsteps. He doesn't guarantee that you will not have tribulation. He guarantees that you will have tribulation, but you still must walk along the path. The day count. One, two, three, four, five, six. Rest and a new beginning. Metaphorically speaking over a time period, the ultimate rest is the great eighth day, which is the day after the millennium or the millennium coming into eternity the kingdom what we have to do is complete the life that Yahweh has ordained for us no matter what it is no matter what you face and our hope is to come to the eighth day and like I said hear those words 
Well done, my good and faithful servant. You see, the one who bounds in strength, remember I said that shemen, the root of shemene, shemene eighth, its root, shemen, means to superabound. The one who bounds in strength and receives the oil of faithfulness, that servant, that servant will keep this perspective in view their whole life and be able to overcome insurmountable odds, insurmountable difficulties, never succumbing to the fear of man. You see, I, I have goals, and I have goals, and my goals are set on the first set in a new series. Isn't that what the eighth day is? Isn't it the first set of a new set in a new series after the seven. You have to have your goal focused on that. But to reach that goal, to arrive at a first set in a new series, I am utterly convinced, I am utterly convinced, I have to see my current number through. And sometimes it may feel like 666 that you're dealing with, but you, you can't run from it. You have to see that through because it's part of your life journey to get to the day of rest so that you can begin the first set in a new series of hope in your life. But you can't run from a difficult situation. Does that make sense? Because that is called the faith and endurance of the saints. I've got to hit the seventh day, which means then I have to just rest and relinquish control unto Yahuwah and rest on the Shabbat. That's perfecting the path, to be satisfied with the outcome. That's Shabbat, isn't it? Yahuwah said everything was good, and then he rested. He was satisfied with the outcome. So many of you are not satisfied with your life. Well, are you resting? Are you resting in Yahweh? Are you enjoying the Shabbat? Are you enjoying the fruit of your labors? Or are you just constantly on the, the roller coaster or the rat race, right? The Shabbat allows you to be satisfied with the outcome. If you're not satisfied with the outcome, you're still in the six, right? You're still in the six, but don't give up. Keep on going until you're ready to come to the seventh. So I know I'm kind of speaking in metaphors here, but I hope that you you get the the point of Shemine, the eighth day, because it applies to the great day of the Feast of Tabernacle, the last great day. It applies to the millennium and going into eternity. It applies to the six working days of labor and toil where you're supposed to structure yourself properly in Yahuwah's kingdom so that you're the beneficiary of your own labor. Because Mystery Babylon wants you to structure yourself commercially with the stupid token, okay, so that Mystery Babylon is the beneficiary of your labor, okay? And then, by the time you're, you're ready to retire, there'll be nothing left 
and you'll be left with nothing, and by 2030 you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. That's Mystery Babylon. But there is a better way to get to the rest and then the first day of a new set and a new series. We are in that time in the world today, brethren, where you are either going to be part of the Great Reset, because that is by default. That's by default. If you don't do anything, if you just think this is a bunch of nonsense, that Matthew's crazy, um, that the Bible doesn't, you know, it, it's just, you know, a bunch of silly stories. And um, you know what? I'm just going to go about my life. I'm going to love my wife and my children and, you know, go to work. And I'm going to just put my head in the sand. Well, good luck to you. You're going to need it. I don't believe in luck because that's a pagan bunch of nonsense. But you're going to need it because that's where all the pagans are going. Okay? That's called ostrich mentality. That's default. The great, great reset is happening right now. Now, there is another road. It's very narrow, and you will be challenged because they're going to try and kick you off of that road and get you over onto this one. But if you stay the course and you go one, two, three, four, five, six, ah, oh, Shabbat, rest, beneficiary of my own labor, I can rest, and I am not going to stop at the seventh because I am going for the first set in a new series. That is Yahuwah's plan, and it's a kingdom mindset and he has given you the keys mystery babylon is trying to convince you to compel you that you don't have the keys and most people brethren believe that they don't have the keys so therefore mystery babylon is so used to people giving them the keys that people don't actually realize the mystery Babylon is powerless. They're going to threaten you, coerce you. But last time I checked, the keys over death and hell don't belong to mystery Babylon. They belong to my king. So you can't threaten me with any of the, you can threaten me, but I know that you are paper giants. You're paper giants because you don't have those keys anymore. Unless the keys that I have, which are not over hell and death, my master has those, but he's given me another set of keys and they are called the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And I have them and you have them. You actually have them. And I am not being metaphorical here. It is a literal, and you have to speak it out. You have the keys. You have the keys. And you can say to that, move. It will move. I have seen it. I have seen it with men in front of my face. Move. Move. I, I have seen the waters of mystery Babylon part. I am not talking metaphor here. Literally, brethren, we have the keys. Now, let me continue on because I am super pumped, as you can see. I am super abound. 
Don't let others or this world convince you that they have the power to bring your situation to conclusion. Only you can do that by either ceasing at an uncompleted number of days or seeing it through until you are satisfied that you have reached the seven, you are now the beneficiary of your own labor, and now you are ready for the first set in a new series. But if you double dip, you get nothing. He'll spit you out. And so will the kingdoms of men. Once you have satisfied that you have reached the seven, then you can begin on the first set in a new series. That's my goal. Think about it. Think about this, okay? As seven was so called because the seventh day was the day of completion and rest, so... Eight, as the eighth day was over and above this perfect completion and is in fact the first in a new series. So as well as being the eighth, Shemini, it really represents two numbers in one. The first in a set of a new series and the eighth. It is seven plus one. Think about that. You can see how it is associated with resurrection and the beginning of a new era or a new order. So as Yahuwah is moving along his plan, then Satan is trying to move along in a new set of series and a new world order that was just announced yet again by the current president to the European Union this week, just as it was by the, his predecessors. But now it's on a fast track because Mystery Babylon is literally sinking. She is sinking. She is sinking and the nations see it. Noah was what? Noah was what? Noah was, what does it say in Peter? Noah was the eighth person who stepped out onto a new world order of things. A new earth to commence a new order of things. Eight souls passed through it with him to the new world order of things. You see, Satan can't create anything. He just is a copycat. He has to copy and pervert and defile. Think about circumcision. Circumcision is performed on the eighth day. 
It is foreshadowed, of course, the true circumcision of heart, which then is connected with a, a new creation. Isn't the circumcision that is made without hands the circumcision of Messiah? Isn't that the first set in a new series of being a new temple, the new creation, the new world order of things in the kingdom of Yahweh's economy? But there's a new world order in the mystery Babylon economy. One is a narrow path that leads to life, and one is a sinking ship of defiled destruction and abominations. That is the world that we now live in. And it is getting narrower, and it is harder to find good, holy, righteous people that are willing to stand up to tyranny in a sick and perverted world because everyone's going and giving away their keys. You're giving away the keys. You're being compelled to give away the keys. Yahuwah rested, brethren, in order for us to continue. And the problem with most people is they just want to be ostriches and put their head in the sand. Yahuwah rested on the seventh day so that man could continue. Amen. Not so that we would acquiesce, that we would, oh, just give up then. Well, I've got the Lord. Well, the Lord's going to take care. Oh, it's all in Jesus' hands. You just know. You rest on the Sabbath. Hebrews chapter 4. Yes, Matthew chapter 12. Yahushua is the master of the Sabbath. Yes, we rest on the Sabbath. It is a day for us to rest. But we don't give up. Yahweh rested on the seventh so we could continue on the eighth. Don't abdicate the battle. Get in the game. Get in the fight. This is a fight for our lives. This is a fight for your generations. And too many people are hyper-spiritualizing it and not putting their self in action in the midst of it. It's real, brethren. It's real. And I love to get spiritual, but also you've got to get down into the real nuts and bolts of it because i still got this flesh to deal with. And I've still got that flesh out there that's coming against me. Mystery Babylon every single day. I am in the world, but not of the world. So I hope you see this because I don't want you to defile the eighth day. Don't defile it by handing it over to Mystery Babylon because then you'll end up on the eighth day of the Great Reset and you'll find yourself sinking in Mystery Babylon because you had everything in their commercial system. And it's going to disappear in a day. In a day, it's going to all disappear. And if you're not on the narrow path that leads to life, you're going to lose everything in a day. In the Great Reset. They're new. First, in a set of series of hell. That they're trying to bring to earth. But that will only last for a short period of time. It's called the tribulation. But it's going to happen. If then you were raised with Mashiach, seek those things which are above, where Mashiach is sitting at the right hand of Yahweh. Be mindful of things above, not on things of the earth. So yes, there is a balance. But we have to be mindful 
Don't defile the eighth day. Don't spoil the treasured future Yahuwah has in store for you. If you just set goals and number your days, you will get to the eighth day. But you've got to be aligned with Yahuwah's kingdom. Nadab and Avihu caved to what? Presumption. They caved to the sin of presumption and that they defiled the eighth day. Everything that Mystery Babylon is trying to attempt to compel you to do is because they presume that you are of this status. They presume that you have contracted with this. It's all presumption. And unless you rebut the presumption by showing who you really are, then the presumption stands. Does that make sense? So you need to live as you have actually got the keys, because you do have them. But Mystery Babylon is presuming that you have handed them the keys. And that's why everybody is being treated the way they are. Because you're not rebutting that presumption by your action of, well, <laughs> yeah, I hear what you're saying, and I do recognize compelled performance, but I've got the keys. I have them. Let me show you. Do you really believe that? I do. I truly do. I know it. I don't believe it. I know it. I've lived it. I'm living it. I see it. We are on a chessboard, and you can live as a king, or you can live as a pawn. But I tell you what, Yahweh has called us to be a kingdom of priests. You cannot be pushed off your square unless you decide that you're moving. You have the keys. Nadav and Avihu were moved off of their square because they defiled themselves. They defiled the eighth day. Yahweh created our parents, Adam and Eve, on the sixth day. Then he rested. And then they were to continue on the eighth day, were they not? The keys to the kingdom of heaven were in Adam and Dahava's hands. The keys to the kingdom of heaven were given to Adam and Eve. Yahweh created them on the sixth day. He rested on the seventh. They were supposed to realize that they were the beneficiaries of their own labor, and then they were to continue with the keys that he handed them on the eighth day. But what happened? They defiled the eighth day by the sin of of presumption and then they were given the keys to their own holding cell hell and death Yahweh took the keys of the kingdom from them and they were given the keys to their own holding cell hell and death so when Yahushua came and conquered hell and death, what keys did he get? So are you and I in the holding cell of Adam and Eve? No. We have been given back the keys that we started with. But none of you believe that. And Mystery Babylon certainly doesn't want you to live like you have the keys. 
Because then they will go down within one hour when everybody wakes up and says, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> this is all presumption. This is all the sin of presumption. You're presuming that, oh, I, I need to communicate to you and show, oh, I got, I got it. Because 99.9% .9 of the people are in aligning with the presumption. So when that point one comes along, they're not used to it. Because for 80, since 1933, March 9th, 1933, you've all been given the keys to Mystery Babylon. Presuming that everything out there is actually real. Now I might be speaking, some of you are getting this. Dougie, are you getting it? Kind of, sort of, anyway. I get it. Look at this. Genesis. Better sheet. We see it. The pattern. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Look at Genesis. Better sheet. What happened? Yahweh creates everything and everything is tov. It is good, good, good. What happens? Man defiles it. He wrecks it. And he is punished. Then what does Yahweh do? Yahweh recreates he sets a first day in a new set of series of things. He reconciles and he grants man a new beginning. That's called mercy. You see that? Then we get to the book of Shemot, Exodus. Yahuwah establishes a relationship with Israel. What happens? They wreck it. They defile themselves with the golden calf. Nadab and Abihu, they, they defile themselves and they're punished. Israel is punished. Yahweh is going to actually decimate the whole nation. Moshe intercedes. Yahweh restores the law. And he begins anew with Israel. Now we get to Leviticus. Our Torah portion. Yahweh establishes the priesthood. The priests corrupt and defile themselves. And are punished. And then Yahweh restores the priesthood affirming a new beginning. Then we get the all-encompassing account of Scripture. Yahweh established and planted a vineyard, and that vineyard is Israel. He leased out that vineyard to the northern kingdom, and he leased out that vineyard to the southern kingdom to tend. And did they tend the kingdom well? Did they? Did they tend the northern kingdom vineyard and the southern kingdom vineyard very well? Well, apparently not, because Yahuwah sent his prophets to go in and say, hey, I would like to receive the benefits of the labor, the fruits of the labor, right? Because the prophets are supposed to receive the beneficiaries of the labor of the kingdom. And what happened to the prophets? They killed the prophets. So then he said, well, they, you know, they killed the prophets. I'll send my son. So then he sends his son to both the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. But what do they do to his son? They kill his son. But that killing of the son brings about the first set in a new series because we really discover now on that new beginning of resurrection, the stone which the builders rejected, he restored and begins and builds a new structure with a cornerstone. <laughs> I mean, do you get it? Ryan, you get it, right? Do you see the pattern that Yahweh creates? Everything 
good, man corrupts the good. He then defiles himself, Yahweh punishes. Then Yahweh recreates, reconciles, and grants a new beginning. Be careful. Yahweh has given us the keys to create our future. We hold the keys to our own prison or the keys to attain great goals. And you, have you ever met anybody and they seem to be in a prison? And it's a prison of their own making. And they have the keys to actually get out of it. But they're stuck and they're in a prison of their own making. We have one life. It's what we believe we have the power to do with those keys that can be our destruction or our success. But do you actually believe that you hold the keys? You do realize that this world's job is to convince you to lock yourself up, to quarantine yourself, to censor yourself, to vaccinate yourself. It is all compelled performance. And it's all commercial in nature. You do not have to acquiesce to any of it. Why do you think over the past two years they attacked businesses? Because they're commercial. And that's the only place that Mystery Babylon has power. In the commercial realm. Get out of the commercial realm and get in the private realm and you'll have the keys to the kingdom. But if you want to play in the commercial realm, then realize what you're playing with. And it's fire. It's fire. There's tokens that you can use to play in the commercial realm. But don't play in the commercial realm with the silly token which is what most people have been trained to do. There are structures for you to play in the commercial realm with, but don't play with the silly token in the commercial realm of Mystery Babylon because you will get smoked. Because they are looking to take everything and you'll own nothing and you'll be happy by 2030. The Great Reset. Mystery Babylon will not, will not make it through the eighth day. She has defiled herself and is currently in her death throes, just like Nadab and Abihu. The same keys can be used for the kingdom of heaven in you. Whatever you bind on earth shall occur, having been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall occur, having been loosed in heaven. I have seen it. I have performed it. And to be able to do that, I had to overcome the fear of man and had to overcome whatever mystery Babylon threw at me to compel me to go over to the other way. But I knew, I knew that I had the keys. That's the difference. And then when I started to walk with the keys then the evidence that I had the keys became very apparent at every level of Mystery Babylon, every level of Mystery Babylon, from the man on the street to the highest echelons of power. With my own eyes. Sometimes I'd go home to my wife and I'd be like, 
you would not believe what happened today. I have had the police called on me. I have sheriffs called on me. I've had all kinds of stuff. And you know what? It has been absolutely empowering to see what the keys can do. I've actually called them myself on myself because I know that I have the keys. You have the keys to your own jail cell too. I've seen that. All these people in January 6th that are in prison, they chose that. They chose that. They were compelled to plea and make certain deals, but they chose that. They hold the keys. They held the keys to their own jail cell. You realize that? Nothing can happen without you giving up those keys. It really, the Bible is alive. And what I've just read to you, I shall read again. It is the truth, and it is not some parable. It can be brought down and walked out in this world. The kingdom of heaven is in you. Whatever you may bind on earth shall occur. Having been bound in heaven, and whatever you may loose on earth shall occur, having been loosed in heaven. But does that mean that if you decide to take these keys, the mystery Babylon will not, like if any of you played rugby, I played rugby when I was a boy, they will scrum you. Don't, but, oh, oh yes. If you, if, don't think that you're just going, oh, I got the, oh no, it's going to be a mass pylon. Okay? A mass pylon. Mass pylon. And not everybody's got the stomach for that. But I certainly do. But then I get to witness to you, which I hope strengthens your faith. It's real. It's so real. It's so cool. Meaning you have the authority over your life. Nobody else does. I do not have the authority over your life. You have the authority over your life. You have the keys to your destiny right in your hand. Now, you can give up some authority to me, but nobody has authority over you in your life. That doesn't mean that you don't respect and honor those in authority we are told to. But ultimately, you are to steward your own vessel. Unless, of course, you decided to go and moor up with Mystery Babylon, and then you're on a whole different vessel. There's the problem. All Mystery Babylon can do is compel you to acquiesce to their demands, but you hold the keys. Who has the keys over hell and death? Revelation 1.18, my master has. So don't let anyone else compel you to hand over your keys to life because they may threaten you with the other key. Oh, if you do that, bad things could happen to you. Oh, you mean like hell and death? Or if you don't do this, then this can happen to you. And if you do, oh, you mean like, like ultimately like something really bad like hell and death? Yeah, but you don't have those keys, do you? 
See? So it's all smoke and mirrors. They're paper giants. It's the man behind the curtain. It's Alice in Wonderland down in the blooming tunnel. It's real, brethren. What I'm saying is real, but all of this fear and terror out there, it's fake. It's not real. Unless you align yourself with Mystery Babylon and get into a commercial system with adhesion contracts. Satan and his minions do not have the keys to jack diddly squat anymore. You and I and Yahusha hold all the keys. If you are Yahusha's, then you hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven and know that Yahusha alone has the keys to death and hell. And he's not threatening you with them. He is not threatening you with them. Because he is loving and merciful. And he overcame death. Where is thy sting? I want you to be free. For the greatest, greatest first set in a new series. And watch as the majority of sheeple start to float away in the seas of mystery Babylon and lose everything in the Great Reset. And it is happening this year. Those of you that have a blood-tipped ear, I pray you hear. And those of you that have eyes to see, I pray you see, I'm not messing around. Right, let's get into the Torah portion. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1, it is written, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took each of them his censer. The Hebrew word there is machtah. It's spent spelt mem chet tav hey. It means it is actually a device used for removing burning coals. Okay? And they put fire in it and put incense on it and offered strange fire before Yahweh, which he commanded them not. So there's lots of presumptions. Oh, well, they were drunk and oh, they were this. This is nonsense. It tells you right there in the text what they did. And what was it? They did something that they were commanded not to do. So therefore, brethren, if you don't want to get smoked, just stay with the commandments of Yahuwah and don't presume anything. Okay? It's that simple. It's that simple. Which they, he commanded them not. First question is, where in the scriptures are you commanded to put incense and fire into a machtar? That's something that the pagans would do. It was like a, a shovel and lifting up the shovel fire ceremony, something you might see in Jamaica, okay? Seriously. You're in Haiti where there's a bunch of witchcraft, right? Fire pan, shovel, as the witch doctor comes out, right? That's, so that's what they did. They learned something from the heathen cultures, and they were all pumped up, and they thought, woohoo, let's go for it. Yeah, let's make this like, a, you know, 
Guy Fawkes night, bonfire night, right? Fireworks galore, shooting rockets in the face of Yahweh. That's pretty much what happened. And therefore, they scheduled their next season, which was to get smoked. Then verse 3, verse 2, fire went out from Yahweh and devoured them, and they died before Yahweh. Then Moshe said to Aaron, this is that which Yahweh spoke, saying, I will be holy Kadosh in them that come near me, and before all the people I will be esteemed. And Aaron held his silence. And Moshe called Mishael and El-Tafazan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, so his cousins, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers from before the Kadosh place, the holy place, out of the, out of the camp. So Aaron's first cousins, they wouldn't have been Kohanim, they wouldn't have been priests, Therefore, it's okay for them to come in and to get defiled, tamay, unclean. Because if it was the priest, then they would have got smoked too. Because they're not supposed to defile themselves for the dead. Not supposed to rip their garments or mourn. But it's okay for the cousins to come in, okay? So, you know, if you've got some cousins that you don't like, then, you know, send them over to Mystery Babylon and get them smoked. But, you know, as for your family and the household of Israel, we got to stay kosher. Okay, there's a lot of people I can think about that I'd like to ship, right? But they're, gonna, they're already on the boat. They're already over there. They're already doing everything that Mystery Babylon requires and mandates, right? Look at verse 5. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp. So it, the fire that went out from Yahweh, it devoured their souls. Their bodies remained untouched, as did their garments. That's kind of interesting, because they were holy garments. So their holy garments remained untouched. Their bodies remained untouched, but it was their souls that were devoured from the fire of Yahweh, because they carried them still out. Mm. As Moshe had said, verse 6, and Moshe said to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Itamar, his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither tear your clothes, lest you die, and lest the wrath come upon all the people. But let your brothers, the household of Israel, mourn the burning which Yahuwah has lit. Verse 7. And you shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. For the anointing oil of Yahuwah is upon you. When does the anointing oil come? On the eighth day. And they did according to the word of Moshe. Now the parallel text is Hebrews chapter 9. Let's turn there. Verse 1. Then truly the first tabernacle... Oh, hang on a minute. Depends on your translation here. If you've got a good Bible, it will be italicized. Now, in the New King James Version, it'll have covenant in the text. Hebrews 9. In the King James Version, I don't know what the King James has. What does the King Jimmy have? Anyone have a King Jimmy? Well, you can look in your own time. But really what's in context here in Hebrews chapter 7 and 8 is the priesthood. So the text should read, then truly the first priesthood. It's not tabernacle and it's not covenant. It's priesthood that is in view here and it aligns with what's going on in our Torah portion. 
For then truly the first priesthood, having also ordinances of divine service and an earthly sanctuary. Is that what our Torah portion is about? The divine services in the earthly sanctuary that Nadab and Abihu presumed to follow not Yahuwah's command, but add to the word of Yahuwah, and they ended up getting smoked. So here's my question. If New Testament brethren act with the same sin of presumption when it comes to the ordinances and commandments of Yahuwah, do you think that their end result is going to be any different? I certainly don't. Will they get smoked? Most probably. That's what the whole tribulation is about. Seeing who gets smoked and who doesn't because they've defiled themselves, they've either added or taken away from the commandments of Yahuwah, but the ones that make it through the tribulation are those who hold the testimony of Yahushua and keep the commandment. They don't add, they don't take away, they do just what the commandments say. There is no presumption, because the sin of presumption will get you smoked. Verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 9, For the first, now it does say tabernacle, was prepared, in which was both the menorah and the table and the setting out of the loaves, which is called the holy place. And after the second veil was a tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies, or kedosh ha kedoshim, having a golden censer. You've got to be careful of your translations here too. In the New King James and many of the modern translations, it has golden altar of incense. Does anybody have that? If your translation has that, then you want to scratch through that and replace it with golden censer, which is the proper translation. You've got the South African scriptures and it says, perfect, perfect. Altar of incense is not in the text. Yet, it finds itself into many of the modern translations. Now, the, this addition will get you smoked. Because it's a sin of presumption. And this is where our New Testament-only brethren get into trouble. The sin of presumption. When it comes to what is holy, what is profane, what is the commandments, and what are not the commandments. And this has caused huge confusion among theologians who couldn't reconcile this chapter in particular with the Masoretic text and the Hebrew Torah mindset. Because it was the golden censer which is in the text that was brought from the holy place, Exodus chapter 30 verse 1, and it was brought from the holy place into the holy of holies when... Once a year on Yom Kippur, you see that in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 12. This is what our author of the book of Hebrews is addressing. But Yahushua's priesthood is greater in that it gives us unrestricted access to the Father's mercy. Unlike the Levitical priesthood that gave the high priest once a year limited access to the mercy seat. He was limited. Our access to the mercy seat is unrestricted and unlimited because we are in the renewal of new things when it comes to the priesthood. 
So to solidify our understanding of verse 4, what's interesting is the very same procedure that was used for destruction is now used for glory. What was it that Aaron, Nadab and Abihu did? Now, there's two Hebrew words I want us to focus in on. Verse 4, we find Mizbach um, used for golden altar of incense, but that we saw in our Torah portion isn't in the text here in Hebrews. But Machtar, which means a fire holder, a censer, or a snuff dish, like snuffing out a candle, which is rendered in the Septuagint as thermaterion, is the actual term that appears here in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, and is translated as censer. The very same thing. Machtar. This is the very instrument that killed the first descendants of the priesthood. And here, this is a mind bomb. The writer of the book of Hebrews contrasts the very instrument that killed the sons of the first priesthood is the instrument that gives life to the priesthood in the first set of new beginnings through Yahusha as a Malkitzedic priest because there is a transference from the lower realm where you get smoked to the higher realm where you get what? Transformed into the transfiguration and garments of light. Yes, your flesh gets smoked but not to disappearing into transfiguration. Who's tracking? Ryan. Tracking? Got it. Sweet. This is the life-giving ceremony of the priesthood that heals the generations. So the instrument that killed the generations is the instrument that heals the generations when it's in the hands of the master. That's the two sticks becoming one, the kingdoms being restored, the priesthood being restored. Is this not the day after Shabbat? The master of the Sabbath rises from the dead, not so that you can sit down and finish. He sat down and finished so that you can continue. Not abdicating your responsibility to be alert and not stick your heads in the sand. Nadab and Abihu took unauthorized fire before Yahuwah. That was the sin of presumption. What is unholy and what was presumptuous was that they were doing pagan fire worship. On Yom Kippur in Leviticus chapter 16 verse 11, the high priest was, then, was permitted to put incense, a beaten portion, inside the veil that it would be placed before the Ark of the Testimony. But Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, or Nadab and Abihu, were not doing that performance of Leviticus 16 verse 11, were they? Nadab and Abihu put fire, the Hebrew word there is aish, into a machtar, which is a tool used for removing burning coals with incense, and they brought strange fire, the Hebrew word for that is zuur, and they put it up in the face of Yahuwah. Zuur, which means strange fire, also can mean foreigner. Estranged. 
gone over to another nation. Oh, you mean like Mystery Babylon? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they did it before the face of Yahuwah. They presumed to put flaming fire, not coals, and set apart incense in their pans, and they held it up into Yahuwah's face. How many people now, nowadays are living a lifestyle and holding it up into the face of Yahuwah and saying, you know what, I'm proud of this. And it's all pride. And then there are many New Testament-only believers that presume to authorize lifestyles and habits that are not authorized by Scripture. But they presume, because Mystery Babylon says it's okay. And if you don't align with Mystery Babylon, then you're this, that, and t'other, right? So they acquiesce to the crowd because they're afraid of standing up for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. They presumed to put fire, not coals, and set apart incense in their pans, and they held it up into Yahuwah's face. Think about that. The presumption. Instead of heeding Yahuwah's commandment, they, commandments, they presumed. They boldly entered into Yahuwah's presence as foreigners, as pagans, zawur, using a form of pagan fire worship. When we boldly enter into Yahuwah's presence with a bunch of papal, Roman Catholic, Protestant, are we coming into his presence as foreigners or are we coming into his presence as Israelites? We have to come into his presence as Hebrew Israelites. That's the only way. Because otherwise you're a foreigner. And the foreigner is supposed to graft in and be one as with the homeborn. You change your identity. I said identity. I didn't say gender. I said identity, Donald. Good night. Outrageous behavior in the front row. How is the sin of presumption any different than the church presuming to bring foreign pagan worship customs into the faith and boldly proclaiming that it is church sanctioned? How is that any different? I don't see it. I see it as akin as the same thing with the same result that will ensue. If churchmen who have already, think about this, if churchmen who have already applied the blood of the Lamb, then presume to enter into Yahuwah's courts with customs borrowed from the surrounding foreign pagan nations, should they expect a different result? No. That makes no sense. Then we go into the next chapter and we get to the very center of the Torah. And it's, this is called the belly of the Torah. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 11. And we get into now talking about creeping things and everything that creeps on its belly. And if you have a, a Hebrew scriptures with it, the Hebrew text, and you get to that word belly in the Hebrew, you will find that the mark of the scribe is there. It's one of the titles of Moshe, and it marks the very center of the Torah. The Hebrew word for belly... The third letter is a vav, 
And that valve is made small, and that is the center, very middle word of the Torah. What is that teaching us? That this part of the text of the Torah is the very soul of the Torah. Meaning, you can't say you're keeping the commandments of Yahuwah if you're defiling yourself. It's the very heart and soul of the Torah, all of the commandments that are, that are associated and in this realm. So what about those pesky dietary commandments? Well, surely red lobster isn't off the table after church now on Sunday, is it? Well, it kind of is. Because, look, those pesky dietary commandments, they've always been there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. Yahuwah told Adam and Eve at the beginning of creation what? Behold, I have given you every green herb bearing seed. Now, I know Bob Marley took this and then decided, well, you know, I'm not just going to eat it. I'm going to smoke it. But, you know, it's for food, okay? So otherwise you're going to be starting to get into foreign pagan practices that can corrupt your mind and your thinking. So you have to be careful, okay? Behold, I have given you every green herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. So should we eat mushrooms? What about seaweed in our sushi? Hmm, these are things to ponder, right? Hmm, wonder about that. Huh? Hmm, okay, think about that. Just saying. Put it in the comments. Put it in the chat. Should you eat mushrooms? What about seaweed? Okay, those types of things, right? All right, put it in the chat, should we? Later, in the Book of the Covenant part of Torah, Yahuwah stipulates that the green plant is given for food, Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, right? Yahuwah limited edible foods and edible plants to those that are green and that they propagate seeds. So again, the mushrooms and the seaweed, we've got to wonder about that, right? Those plants that lack either chlorophyll or seeds or both, they are called into question, including fungi, hmm. as well as various other parasitic plants. I just had shiitake mushroom omelette two days ago, so, you know, hmm. I feel pretty good, but... Now my son's very concerned. <laughs> he's, very, he's like, oh. Now look, Yahuwah told Moshe that clean animals were to go aboard the ark by sevens. So that thing what they show you in the Christian bookstore is two by two by two, bunch of nonsense, okay? Somebody's not reading their Bible. It was two of the unclean and sevens of the clean. Now was it, was it, was it actually 14? Was it two pair of sevens with an extra one for sacrifice? Oh, there's something to think about. Numbers. So the unclean were limited to two. Genesis 7-2. Noah had to know the difference back then, didn't he, between clean and unclean? Surely. Well, of course he did. Otherwise there'd have been a bunch of confusion like you've got in the Christian bookstores. It was just two. Well, well, of course they're confused because they don't know the difference between clean and unclean and they're eating the unclean. So it's just two. But it's not. It was seven of the clean possibly 14 with an extra one to sacrifice, and two of the unclean. Look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 3. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. 
Hang on a minute. Everything is defined by what? Mystery Babylon. Everything at the Chinese restaurant? No. Everything is defined by the change from a plant-only diet to a new diet consisting of plants and animals. That is the everything. But that doesn't mean one would eat every animal any more than anyone would go, oh, I'm going to, I can eat some poison ivy then. No. That, no, that, that, that is not how we define everything here in the text. You wouldn't eat every animal any more than you would eat every plant. Because look at the passage concerning the original vegetable diet. You'd have to go to Genesis 1.30. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Okay? Now, every green herb doesn't mean every single existing green herb. It means every green herb that is appropriate for food. I don't think Adam or Noah were eating poison ivy salads and snacking on poisonous berries. Just saying, okay? Genesis chapter 6, verse 21, it is written, And take thou unto thee of all the food that is eaten, and gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. So Noah here is commanded to take all the edible foods into the ark. So then, not every green herb was edible. We can see it just plays out, doesn't it? Only every green herb given for food was edible. So the apostles come along and they teach the, of course, additional Book of the Covenant laws. But believers in Yahusha should also keep the commandments of proper worship, the Feast of Yahuwah, going to the synagogue on Shabbat, to listen to Moshe Rabbeinu, that's Shabbat keeping. This is now the Jerusalem Council ruling, isn't it? Prohibited the ingesting of blood, that means properly slaughtered meat, things contaminated by contact with idolatry, and by adopting the Jerusalem Council, there wouldn't be any of this confusion. So what is the conclusion of the matter? Hosea tells us, in conclusion, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests to me, since you have forgotten the law of your Elohim, I will also forget your sons, Nadab and Abihu. I added that to the text. That's a paraphrase, but in context, is that what we're talking about? Yes. The disputes of the dietary commandments is due to not spending the time in the Torah so as to understand that the dietary commandments were never... Here's the crux. The dietary commandments were never simply ceremonial laws restricted to the tabernacle. And that's where the New Testament-only church gets into trouble. They believe that the dietary commandments were restricted as ceremonial only to the tabernacle. But we can see with the days of Noah that that simply wasn't so. They are not 
restricted to the ceremonial laws and the sacrificial system. The doctrinal belief that Yahuwah's dietary requirements were ceremonial laws that were rescinded after Yahusha died on the tree is the crux of the problem. But the dietary commandments were never ceremonial laws. When the dietary commandments are read in context, they have nothing to do with ceremonies. They deal strictly with cleanliness and health. Yahweh's dietary commands were not issued as temporary restrictions, but as perpetual commands. The word ceremonial and the phrase ceremonially clean and unclean animals, it doesn't even appear anywhere in scripture. Yet many Bibles have headlines preceding Leviticus 11 and headlines preceding Deuteronomy chapter 14 that read ceremonially clean and unclean animals. And, and people just read that propaganda into their brains and then it sets your mind adrift as you read the verses. Does that make sense? You see it in all of these modern Bibles. These are added footnotes, or headnotes, I should say. This is not scripture, but instead, these are an inserted false doctrinal teaching of men that leads you down the garden path to religion. If Yahweh's dietary laws concerning clean and unclean animals were temporary in nature, as were Yahweh's animal sacrifice and offering measures, the scriptures would clearly state so. But they do not. The false doctrine comes from a sin of presumption. It comes from a false proclamation, a sin of presumption, presuming that unclean animals were merely ceremonially unclean. There is nothing ceremonial about Tameh, unclean, and Tahor, clean creatures. It's this type of gaslighting by the church that has rendered the word of Yahuwah of no effect through tradition and the false teaching of men, Matthew 15, verse 6. Very true. To say that the old Mosaic law, which was full of all these restrictions, was not meant to be permanent, well, that's gaslighting. And I know that's a modern term, but they've been doing it for centuries. And nobody's called them out until our generation. The truth is that careful study shows that the dietary commandments are perpetual and that they are not mere ceremonial or restrictive, any more than his Ten Commandments. But then again, the New Testament-only church doesn't believe in the Ten Commandments. Right? Oh, yes, they do. Well, if they believe, then they would do, which would mean keep the Sabbath, which means that you would keep Yahweh's Sabbath and that you would realize that his Sabbath is the first of the feasts. How do you get around Leviticus chapter 3, verse 17? It shall be a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings that you shall ne eat neither fat nor blood. 
How do you get around Leviticus chapter 11, verse 10? Anything in the seas or the rivers that do not have fins and scales, of the swarming creatures in the waters, of the living creatures that are on the waters, is an abomination to you. They shall remain, shall remain, an abomination to you of their flesh, flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall have in abomination. So scripture nowhere supports the false doctrinal belief that Yahweh's dietary commandments are ceremonial. Never, never does it say it's a temporary restriction. Leviticus chapter 3 verse 17, Leviticus 11 chapter 10 that I just read to you confirm that Yahweh's dietary commandments are not temporary but perpetual and they shall remain in effect. That's what the scripture says. Anything else is the sin of presumption. And I could spend hours going verse by verse through those questionable texts in the New Testament. And you know what? Fifteen years ago, I did. And do you know what fruit came out of that, brethren? I had pastors. I had youth pastors. I had worship leaders. I, had, I, I started congregations. And do you know what? I had those discussions. And back in, that, back in those days, I was a big debater and very argumentative, those of you that have known me a long time, and I, I've, I'm trying to be better at that, not arguing, okay? But I don't know anyone that could have beaten me in a debate because I was so aggressive and I had everything memorized. And you know what the fruit of it is? What I discovered? That if somebody has got their mind set on a piece of text that it means this, you will never, ever change their mind. It's like a stronghold. The only thing that you could do is maybe show other texts because they're locked in on what that text means. And I don't do debates with anybody nowadays because I don't want to argue because I don't like that me. And that's not me anymore. I've changed. I don't argue. Now, my wife is most probably absolutely chuckling because the reality of it is to be totally honest, I do at home. And I'm really, really convicted right now, Tamara, Moshe. <laughs> and I'm going to do better. And I repent. But I am aware of it, brethren. And I am aware of it. Okay? But, you know, just like Abraham, that's where, that's where, the, that's where, the, that's where the trials really are. But I never win an argument at home. That's true. Everybody's a loser when you argue. Everybody's a loser. So I'm not going to show you any scriptures um, as far as going through the dietary commandments, but I will give you a big worldview. Bible worldview is some of my favorite scriptures that just make sense to me. So let's close with this. This is my favorite scripture when it comes to the dietary commandments. Think about it. Job. Chapter 4, verse 4. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? My pastor could. The vicar of Christ could. The Pope certainly could. All of the pastors of Calvary Chapel, they could do it. But Yahweh says, no one. 
That's pretty cool, huh? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not even Jesus can do that. Because Jesus cleaned Cornelius, a man. He is not in the business of cleaning up the animals. He didn't come to save the pigs or the slugs or the escargot. Hosea chapter 5 verse 10, the rulers of Judah were like movers of a border. You move the Torah and you've moved Yahweh's border, you're going to get smoked. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim, that's the ten northern tribes that went off to papal Rome, is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked in human traditions. Therefore, I am a pus to Ephraim. You start eating that stuff, you're going to be full of so much pus. It's kind of gross, isn't it? And Yahweh said, I will be a pus unto you. Not that Yahweh is a pus, heaven forbid. But the consequence of that is pus will grow in your body. And to the house of Judah, rottenness. Psalm 102, verse 27. Yahweh, you change your mind from what's clean and unclean all the time, depending on what epoch we're in. Is that what it says? No, it says... You are the same, and your years shall have no end. Malachi 3.6, I am Yahuwah, and I changed after the cross. No, doesn't say that either. I am Yahuwah, and I change not. Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, Yahuwah, your word is settled in heaven until Yahushua comes along and changes it all. Is that what it says? But this is the kind of propaganda and gaslighting I had in Calvary Chapel. Oh, really? My wife, you know, she'd write me notes. Shall we go to Red Lobster? Extra crab? Because we were always hungry, right? Because it was church on Sunday. And you'd usually get up, not have any breakfast, rush to church, all disheveled. We were never disheveled. We were like Ken and Barbie. But we'd be there, the old tummy's grumbling, and he was talking about the football usually instead of the scripture. And then we'd be like, okay, where are we going to go for lunch? I mean, Red Lobster. Outrageous behavior. James chapter 1, verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness nor shadow of a turning. I think I'm building a good track record here for Yahweh, don't you? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those leading you who have spoken to you the word of Yahweh, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conduct. Yahushua HaMashiach, the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not, do not be carried away with different and strange doctrines, for it is good for the heart to be established with grace, not with foods in which those who have walked in them were not helped. Meaning there's going to be a bunch of religious people that are going to presume a bunch of stuff about Scripture that isn't there, and they will succumb to the sin of presumption and defile themselves and be a pus. 
Because Yahweh doesn't change, and the dietary commandments are not ceremonial and sacrificial. Therefore, they didn't change. They didn't get transferred. Nothing changed with them. They are forever leolam vayed. Unless you don't believe these two verses. Romans chapter 3, verse 31, St. Paul. Do we then make the Torah void through faith? Let it not be we are supposed to establish the Torah through our faith. And finally, Romans chapter 7, verse 12. So indeed, the Torah is holy, and the commandments are holy, just, and good. There we go. That's where I'll finish today. This is a power-packed portion. I went from mystery Babylon, commercial agreements, dietary requirements, getting smoked, the millennium, the great reset. I mean, I was everywhere. Are you still with me? Let's have a look in the chat and see. You've only got two days to register for the Passover. So I pray that you do. Give us some thumbs up now. And if you didn't like the teaching, then give us some thumbs down. And... Put it in the comment section why you didn't like it. But be honorable and not argumentative. Let's see what you have to say if you're still here in the chat. I will I will chat. Need a drink of water. And my glasses. I am super excited to see so many of you that are coming from very far afield to the Passover, to the Passover, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Yes, oh, my wife is going to literally, not metaphorically, she, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of might be a little nervous to go home. All right. Let me put this in the chat. If you want to grab my attention, then please redline me if you're still here. Are you still here? I don't even see myself on the screen. Well, there I am. Okay, okay, I'm still there. Are you still there? Live chat. Okay, somebody said they're making a sundial. Now is the time to do that, isn't it? Make a sundial with your children. That would be absolutely fabulous. We should do that in homeschool. Be very good. Get Manel on that. Don't mention catfish in front of Matthew. Exactly. Blooming catfish. All right. Mama Goose. Shabbat Shalom, Mama Goose, up there in Snohomish County. You're about to pop forth and bring forth a beautiful baby. Praise be. Prayers for Mama Goose and Carlos up there. She says, I've heard of fungus being up for debate. I believe there are natural health benefits from everything the Father plants in the earth. Plants are his medicine cabinet. Definitely agree plants are his medicine cabinet. But what about the consumption of them as food, right? 
I don't know about that. It's a good one, isn't it? Good question, Chris De La Rosa. Since fat, since fat belongs to Yahweh, is bone broth acceptable? You know, I think I would get myself a kosher or a kosher, some rabbinical kosher meat, okay, because I know that they actually go through the process properly, or some, um, somebody slaughtered it for you properly. And then I'd most probably go with the bone broth, I think. Don't you think? Truth like Velcro, Shabbat Shalom. It's a loving commandment from Yahuwah to us, saying, take care of yourself and don't this or that, don't eat this or that. These are commandments to Yah, those to others, and there are those to ourselves. And, but I think it also teaches us about sanctification. That's the biggest thing that I see with the dietary requirements. It teaches us about that not everything is for us. There is a restriction of appetites. We are to restrict our sexual appetites. We are to restrict, restrict our diet. We are to restrict what we listen to. And we are to restrict what we look at. We are to be, and how we speak. We are to be restricted. That's what makes us distinct from the animals. If you are living unrestricted, then you're an animal. Mm. What else we got? Back out of the chat and hit share. It's an arrow thingy. Okay. I think we were live. Were we live on Facebook today? We did. We, we did. Superb. I guess we figured that out. We're back on Facebook live. Annette Watson. Matthew, concerning eating fat, what about eating the fat on lamb when it is cooked? Are we allowed to eat the cooked fat off of the lamb? Well, I think what happens is... Um, very good question. Sacrificially, the, the fat was for Yahuwah, for the altar. What we are to do is we can eat the fat when it's not sacrificial unto Yahuwah, but we still don't want to eat the blood, okay? Does that make sense? Because it was the fat and the blood that was an offering. But obviously, you're not going to be just, you're going to try and remove most of the fat in your meat, I imagine. Yosef, at Torah to the tribes, never knew you're married to Matthew. Do you went to Calvary Chapel too? Don't be confused though. Here you go, Yosef. There is T squared, two Tamras. Tamra, who is here in the chat at Shabbat Fellowship, is not my wife. Tamra the Nolan, who is at home viewing, is my wife. Ha ha ha. Shabbat Fellowship, she already um, answered that question. <laughs> yes. Yes, Matthew was in the Calvary Chapel trap. But you know what? I, do not, I not, do not despise those humble beginnings. I was trained up, and I was truly blessed, and I was very thankful for my pastor back in those days who discipled me and um, was super super amazing in my life you know i have i i am very very thankful all right could you shut that
Kevin Niebling, who was, was, of course, an army medic, says, I've seen the pus evacuate a man's body just as it does a pig's body. Yeah, I've seen that too. Um, one time I was, we were doing like some, some intercession and somebody vomited up pus, like it was pus. And I had to clean it up and it was all on the floor and it didn't smell human. It was totally demonic. It was like they threw up a demon. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. I have a witness. I don't eat organs. Well, Crystal Rosa, I got some kosher um, liver and I got it shipped to me from New York. I haven't had liver in years. Liver and onions. My wife was like, are you supposed to eat that? I said, it's kosher. It was from a rabbinical butcher's in New York. It was chicken liver. Or was it beef liver? It was beef liver. They're super, super zealous and, and religious when it comes to what you can eat and can't. So if it was rabbinical kosher. I did, I did have that recently. It was super good. But, um, yeah, it's pretty rich. Used to have that a lot when I was a boy growing up in England, but it wasn't beef, let me tell you. Oh, good grief. Look, everybody's talking about food now. Well, that's good, that's good. That's what we're talking about, isn't it? Best hamburger around, got to tell you, it's not meat. It's, um, where is it, on my son's left? There's a place up here called um, Boone's Treasury, and it's a McMinimum's pub, and they make like a garden burger, but it's not a gar garden burger. With, um, and they do the sautéed onions and um, the um, blue cheese on it, and it's, it's off, the, off the charts, off the charts. If you're, in, if you're in Oregon for Passover and it's after Passover and we can eat leaven again, we, that's the place to go. Baruch Hashem Yahweh, look at me, I must be hungry. Actually, I'm really not, I feel great. Player, praise be. Shabbat Shalom, the Libby Tube. Libby Tube will be hosting a Passover all-nighter. So please check out the Libby Tube um, for that. For that, please. Coming up, more information, maybe Shabbat. Tamara at Shabbat will put that link up here. Jen Sperry, liver is kosher. Well, it, I got it from a kosher deli, so, and it was certified. Kevin Niebling, when someone eats so many unclean things and never changes, lives a life of sin, has an unclean heart, they will become physically toxic and the toxins will find a place to access in soft tissues. Wow, yeah, I can believe that. Melchizedek wife here in MX. Is that what's MX? Is that Mexico? Yes. MX or New Mexico? Or in Mexico? Are you in Mexico? I have a source for good beef, no hormones. Wow, that well share the source. We'd love to do that. Baruch Hashem Yahweh. 
giant killer, continued from the last passage, you will vomit up what you have eaten and all your flattery will be wasted. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 8. See, there's so much to think about, isn't there? But really for me, this, this week's Torah portion, oh, it was powerful. I hope you guys um, felt blessed too. We won't be here next Shabbat because we will be in the midst, in the throes of Passover, which we will be recording and be able to hopefully upload later. So um, check back with us for two weeks and we should be able to get several teachings to you for the Passover. And then remember that you need to um, connect with others at Torah to the Tribes forward slash connect. com forward slash connect. Ah, oh, we have a brother from Igabu in Nigeria, West Africa. I am quite Roman Catholicism today, but we can change that for you tomorrow. So praise Yah that you're here. All right, right. somebody reach out and um, make a connection. Yes, I think we have uh, communities over there in Africa as well. So Baruch Hashem, Yahweh. Praise his holy name. Yes, Kevin Nita, we are seeing you guys in a little bit. Looking forward to gathering for Passover in a few short days. That's a good question. Much more truth. Will Will Mystery Babylon's contracts exist after they fall? I think all the contracts will go down with them and those that are attached to them. That's the problem. Sinking ship, cargo goes down with it, and it, and and the contracts make make persons cargo. They have contracts to the cargo. Yeah. Proverbs twenty three, verse two. Good one. Good one. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Um. Bruce Edmonds, did you quit Catholicism today? All right, all right, all right. Praise Yahweh, praise Yahweh. You know, Yahweh is faithful. He is holy. He is just and righteous. Brethren, give us some thumbs up if you're still hanging loose as a goose with us. I think we're going to get some geese actually out at our place. They're supposed to be good, like watch geese. You know, they are combination of German shepherds, geese, heavy ammunition. Oh, rooster. Oh, my goodness. I got attacked this week. I got attacked. I went into my barn with a pair of shorts on. And all of a sudden, I heard this noise like a bunch of boxes were falling. And I had this shooting, throbbing pain on my right calf. And I looked around, and the rooster's got all his bits and gizzards up, and he had literally just latched onto me with the the spurs and jacked me twice, well, and pierced and gone into my calf that much, about three quarters of a centimeter. One hit 
my varicose English varicose vein, blood everywhere. Then he went back for more, and he came and spurred me twice again, hit another varicose vein, blood everywhere. It was outrageous. So I picked up a shopping bag and swung it and whacked him round the head. He charged me for some more. So I whacked him, swung it and whacked him his body and he went flying and then he legged it out of the barn. Moral of the story, don't ever turn your back on your enemies in shorts. Okay? I'm not wearing shorts anymore. Forget about that. Ridiculous. I couldn't sleep properly for two days. I was walking with a limp. And then we watched a movie, The Born Identity, right, where he's walking with a limp. And I'm like, that's me! I'm not recommending that movie or anything. It was a good movie. But yeah, he must have been attacked by a rooster too. Brutal. But we did watch that movie with Clint Eastwood, which was good, wasn't it? And there was a rooster in that. What was that movie called? With the rooster in it. Macho Libre or something, wasn't it? Cry Macho. Yeah, and the, and the rooster was called Macho. And they really are macho. So what kind of rooster is it that we've got? We have four roosters. What was the one that attacked me? A Rhode Island Red. So then my son's like, well, guess what we could do? We could breed him with a what? A Plymouth Rock. Ah. And then you can make them really... I'm like, why would we want to do that? So then he tells me why we want to do that. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I see. Yeah, we have to go down to Tijuana and we could get some bets on. Outrageous behavior. But I mean, my goodness, those spurs, insane. So yeah, I went into the barn yesterday fully equipped with a broom. I mean, I was, I was like, right, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? I mean, not messing around. Do not wear shorts and do never turn your back on your enemies. Shabbat shalom. A bunch of tomfoolery.